The views expressed in this podcast are solely those of the speaker. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for professional medical advice from your own physician. So welcome everyone. Uh, Today we're going to do a podcast talking about one of the recent articles in the North American Spine Society Journal. Uh, The article is The Educational Impact of Early COVID-19 Operating Room Restrictions on Neurosurgery Resident Training in the United States, a multi-center study. And I'm honored today to have two of the authors, if I can ask you both to introduce yourselves. Uh, My name is Tobias Matei. I'm an assistant professor of neurosurgery at St. Louis University. I'm a fellowship trained spine surgeon, and I'm the senior author of this study. Good morning, everyone. Dr. Grau, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Uh, My name is Justin Zhang. I'm a fourth year medical student at St. Louis University School of Medicine. Dr. Matei is my mentor and... um, very interested in spine surgery and happy to be here. Good. Well, thank you both for joining us. It's always great to get insights of people really, you know, involved in performing the studies. So maybe just as a kind of to get us kicked off, Justin, maybe you can give us a little bit of an overview of kind of what your thoughts were in doing this study and what you guys found. Absolutely, sir. Uh, Be my pleasure. Uh, I think it goes without saying that uh, the COVID pandemic has had an unprecedented effect on all aspects of life. Uh, I mean, just here in St. Louis, we're starting to return a little bit to a sense of normality. Uh, And when it comes to the surgical specialty, uh, these effects materialized in, for example, the transition to telemedicine uh, and uh, cancellation of elective cases, a large percentage of which are spine. Um, With respect to residency training, we saw, for example, transitioning of didactics to a virtual setting. And Dr. Matei noticed early on that the impact of these changes upon neurosurgery residents have been assessed anecdotally and qualitatively through survey analyses at single center institutions. Uh, The existing literature at the time uh, did not really leverage multi-center data uh, or provide any quantitative assessments of the effects of COVID on residency case volumes. Uh, So therefore, this study addresses that, that gap in the literature, and we provide detailed information on neurosurgical case volumes stratified by ACGME uh, case categories. So comparing adult cranial versus adult spine, for example, uh, the urgency of the case. So uh, emergent versus elective, and then stratified by PGY year. Um, So we queried seven institutions across the country, and we pulled the data and separated by month from March, 2019 to April, 2020. And in this study, we elected to provide a purely descriptive analysis Given the significant heterogeneity present between multiple institutions and their COVID restrictions, some cut off earlier, some shut down later, uh, the differences in patient populations, and most importantly, this idea of seasonality. So we we didn't feel comfortable comparing March 2019 with March 2020, for example, given the time difference. You know, we couldn't account for this. Uh, We couldn't really, um, we couldn't uh, undergo any kind of robust uh, uh, model to account for, for all these effects. Uh, and, and our results were, were intuitive and expected. We, we found steady decreases in caseloads in, in all uh, ACGME case categories uh, in a stepwise fashion from January 2020 to February to March to April, with the sharpest declines being between March and April 2020, uh, which actually made a lot of sense in our analysis, given that out of the seven institutions, most of them shut down the city's mandated shutdowns in the month of March. So we felt those effects in April. Um, And unsurprisingly, we saw the biggest reduction between April 2019 and April 2020. And that was 
percent reduction in all cases. And unsurprisingly, uh, spine actually had the sharpest decreases uh, with a 66 percent decrease in case volumes from March and April 2020. Uh, last, uh, you, you know, junior and senior residents both expected similar decreases in caseloads. And actually, juniors ex ex experienced a, a little bit greater uh, magnitude of a decrease at 55% between April 2019 and April 2020, compared to seniors who had a 45% decrease. So, so no matter what your resident level was, everyone was affected from, from that perspective. So that's kind of an overarching um, overview of uh, kind of what we did. Right. I mean, and, and certainly something we all feel. Um, Dr. Matei, maybe you can comment just, you know, working with the residents, what did you feel during this time from, from your perspective? Uh, were you really kind of feeling kind of big changes in terms of kind of experience? And, and do you feel that that's continuing or was that a very time limited process? So I think that the most important point is that when we went through the initial OR restrictions because of the COVID pandemic, uh, we were uncertain. Uh, the, the major factor that was affecting um, the way we plan the, the, the months ahead were the uncertainty. So if we knew that that would last only six weeks or eight weeks, uh, it might have been different in, terms of, different in terms of what we planned. But the fact we didn't know if that would take uh, six weeks or three months or even uh, six months or a year. So that was the main uh, problem that I think affected most program directors and faculties in terms of, of planning. Now looking backwards, we see that, I mean, we had at least here at, at St. Louis University about four to six weeks of restrictions for elective cases, which significantly impacted my practice in, in spine surgery, especially with elective cases and uh, the deformity cases. But at the long term, I mean, if you imagine from the resident training standpoint, which is the focus of this study, that affected less than 10% of their annual experience, right? It took about a month out of, of, of their year. And I would say most neurosurgery programs, they the residents have a case load, which is at least 10% and uh, higher than the required by the ACGME. So even with that drop, I don't think it affected that much their long-term experience, but that was a concern when we're through the pandemic. Um, we, we, had, we, we checked with the ACGME and their guidance was that Every program director had the discretion on how to evaluate the proficiency and competence of uh, every resident or fellow, but they wouldn't reduce the, the case requirements for, for the residents. So, um, and to be honest, I mean, now looking backwards, I think that the major, I would say major impact upon the residents training was not that much related to the volume of cases, but especially regarding the, it, it was more a qualitative uh, impact upon their training. And I'll give you uh, some examples. Uh, it was not, my restrictions for deformity cases uh, were much longer than just uh, that strict six week period because of um, inpatient bad issues. So even though we had over time, I couldn't, I could do most of the elective surgeries that were outpatients, but those patients that require uh, a week or, or more than three days as in, inpatient, they were significantly affected. Uh, the other thing that the, the, the other aspect that my practice was deeply affected was um, in terms of laminectomy for placement of spinal uh, dorsal column stimulation system. So I do most deformity cases, but I also have 
um, at least one day a week, which I do the laminectomies. And if you imagine that practice is very dynamic. So I send the patients with chronic pain to pain management. They got the trial with the spinal stimulation and they come back. Everything was shut down. So the patients with chronic pain, they were not getting trials. Of course, there was no emergency on that. Most of them were failed back syndrome. So I would say the impact upon my my functional neurosurgery practice in terms of spinal cord stimulation system lasted for at least six to eight months. And only now I'm seeing um, my practice going back to the to the volume I had before the pandemic. And of course, the residents lost some of their training during that period, uh, which I'm very confident they, they will compensate. But I would say the impact was more qualitative and long lasting than merely the quantitative restrictions that we're able to document in this study. Yeah. Absolutely. I think many of us certainly felt that very strongly. So there's probably been, I mean, pauses that probably took away some from education, hopefully some lessons learned and maybe even opportunities we took advantage from in hindsight uh, in terms of how things have evolved. I guess to either one of you is a question of just, do we worry that there are things from the pandemic that are going to leave some holes in our education for our residents or other measures we have to take? And I know you hypothesized a little bit of that in your discussion of the paper. So one of the, the, the things we hypothesize is that because the, most of the de- observed decrease was in elective spine cases, maybe in the future we'll see an increase in the number of applications for spine fellowships. Um, so all of this makes sense, but at the same time, I can, I, I can assure that at least from our experience, our residents uh, were still very busy and active. I mean, this very study was a, a resident of mine in the first week of the pandemic uh, that asked me about any study that they could uh, be engaged. Uh, and, and that was my suggestion. I said, let's study what we're, we're going through. And then instead of just reporting our experience, we reach out to other centers and we're able to pull the data. And one of the things Justin, Justin mentioned, and which is true, we were not able to perform any formal statistical comparison because those centers were selected and uh, the homogeneity of the variance was therefore violated and we're not able to use parametric, parametric tests. But that illustrates how, and I, I, U.S. Editor-in-Chief, you probably saw a substantial increase in the number of submissions, at least in the months following the pandemic, because even faculty and, and, and residents, they were active catching up with their research and, and ended up with, so in some sense, we ended up, uh, it, it was that de- it definitely affected our, our, our practice, but I think in um, we, we as as academic spine surgeons we have been able to compensate in other ways and hopefully that's have a this that we have a positive impact um, upon our our careers and the resident training. Yeah, we absolutely did and through the you know after pauses we definitely saw increased numbers of submissions, which probably certainly correlates with additional time doing the scholarship aspect of education and and practice with that. Um, We've also been a little, at least in my practice, we were a little different than we were. We've continued telehealth and other things. I will say from the outpatient perspective, we have not found efficient ways to integrate our um, house staff into telehealth. Uh, We continue it as part of our practice. I don't know if you guys have seen that as something that's been able to be incorporated into the training process. We have not. Um, 
and it just, I, I don't know, maybe there are opportunities there, maybe not, I'm not sure. Personally, I've been, I've been using telehealth um, since the, the beginning of the pandemic, especially for the post-operative evaluation. So I would say maybe not the initial post-operative evaluation that requires a wound check or removal of the sutures, but uh, for the six weeks or three months follow-up or getting upright sex rays or even for those patients with stable fractures uh, treated with collars, we definitely were able to use telehealth. But I've seen some studies in the literature that even in terms of the triage, a lot of surgeons were doing the triage and, and discussing surgical indications through telehealth. So definitely, I think it's it depends on the experience of, of each institution and Despite the limits of telehealth, especially for us that uh, rely a lot on the neurological examination, um, I definitely think it was a positive impact that, that will affect our practice. Great. And, you know, hopefully we're done with these shutdowns related to COVID, but, you know, I think we all are aware that we're not sure of that. Um, any lessons learned, things that we think will kind of help if it does need to go back to that or, or thoughts in terms of how we can kind of best make use of the time or kind of make sure that the educational priorities are maintained for our staff? I think one of the main learning points that I had is that even in a, such a deep crisis as the COVID pandemic, we have to, we have to be proactive in terms of developing our strategies, but we have at the same time to be adaptive and not trying to carefully plan six months or 12 months down the road um, because of the underlying uncertainty. And as you mentioned, usually when you're in the middle of the storm, the problems seem much bigger than they ended up being when you look with uh, hindsight. So uh, I believe that this flexibility in terms of the developing new strategies both for residents' education. We had a, a very positive impact in terms of our grand rounds because we were able to transition to Zoom and have much higher attendance of medic, uh, medical students and even faculties from other, other institutions. I would say most of our meetings, uh, faculty meeting, residence meeting, we transitioned to Zoom. And we since then, we have continued that way and it has been much easier to gather everyone. Um, but uh, looking forward, I think even for the residents, it's, it's a learning experience on, on how to manage an acute crisis like that without becoming desperate and thinking that everything we've built so far has, um, has fallen apart. And Dr. Grau, I think I can say one thing briefly also from the medical student perspective. I know this, this study focuses on residents. But as Dr. Matei alluded to, I think the transitioning of didactic to the virtual setting was enormously beneficial for medical students. Uh, grand rounds, uh, other teaching sessions, faculty coming. You know, so we had Dr. Ali Baj from Banner Health in Phoenix come talk, uh, who otherwise would not have been able to. And medical students are invited to come as well. You know, we're just another little face in the in the video conference. So from that perspective, enormously beneficial for from an educational standpoint for medical students. And, and you know, anecdotally talk, talking to the residents, they, they kind of felt the same way too. I do think that there will probably be some benefits that, that we just didn't even think about that we all do continue to benefit from. I mean, I'll tell you at our institution, we continue to do morning sign out with house staff and faculty every morning as a group still through uh, electronic platforms. And the communication and the kind of, 
input we give to our, our house app are, are much more than they've ever been in that particular setting. And, and there are other aspects of practice that that applies to. So hopefully we can take the positives and keep those things going. Um, other thoughts that you guys learned from doing this study or, or messages you wanna to share to those who are listening? One of the points that I like to bring, uh, and that's something that I teach my, my, my medical students, especially those I'm mentoring. Sometimes we look to a problem and we say, hey, um, maybe our study is somewhat limited or we may not be able to achieve um, something that would be highly impactful to our scientific community. I mean, this, this study, when we started analyzing, um, some, some people could have said, of course, you're gonna observe a massive decrease in those six weeks of, of the pandemic. And so what? I mean, what is it? You're not, you're not discovering the wheel with that. And I said, we, we, we don't even know, I mean, the impact of the pandemic. We don't know the impact upon each specialty. And we don't even know if that's unique to our institution, how other programs with two or three residents a year and, and, uh, and larger faculty staff were impacted. So even that descriptive analysis provides a background for us to be able to properly analyze the problems, problem and then devise the strategies. So uh, I would just, it's just an encouragement to say that whenever you have proper data analysis and careful data collection, even though some of the findings may be expected, I still think there's some important value in, in pursuing that type of strategy. I do wonder if we look back even with a further, you know, out lens with deferred pathology and inc many people seeing some increased demand after shutdowns, if maybe there'll be some equilibration of the volumes that house staff see that are very hard to see in the short term, but maybe won't be as, will mute the effect that we see in short term um, evaluations. I don't know. For sure, and that's one of the limitations of our study. We focus exclusively on the initial of our restrictions during the first weeks of the pandemic. Uh, but of course, we could have, I mean, further studies could have, could evaluate the impact of the second wave of the Delta variant, and especially the bounce back in the number of cases uh, after that just to see that effect. Um, the fact is that, I mean, gathering, especially when you're focusing on multi-institutional data, um, if you try to analyze two or three years of data, probably the study will come out five years later when the subject is already not that much of such interest. So, uh, but this is definitely one limitation of our study that we decided to focus exclusively on those initial four to six weeks restrictions during the acute first wave of the COVID pandemic. Right. Any other thoughts from either of you? If not, we'll probably wrap it up. Um, it's really helpful to, to get the insights from the paper. It's great to hear kind of thoughts and discussing this with you and uh, really appreciate you um, publishing with the North American Spine Society Journal. Thank you. Thank you.